What up, Duval? Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Gin Jag Podcast. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Jaguars have fallen three straight times to three previously winless teams in consecutive weeks. An incredible feat accomplished exactly one time in the history of the NFL. That's right, your 2020 Jacksonville Jaguars are making NFL history for all the wrong reasons. Today we're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Jaguars' Week 5 loss to the Texans. The Jaguars fell to just 1-4 and four on the season and are now hanging out in the AFC South cellar. We'll also talk about whether or not this team can turn things around moving forward. Make sure to review us on your favorite podcast app. If you're having trouble finding us, which I have uh, heard a little bit lately, it's simply the Gen Jag podcast. Gen Jag is all one word. And, uh, of course, massive thank you, especially this week as the Jaguars have dropped their third straight. Thank you to Bold City Brewery, one and only sponsor of the Gen Jag podcast. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. They are helping us out to get through this episode and to get through this week with some tasty beverages. Thank goodness, Jeremy. How are you doing today after what was probably the most disappointing loss of the season so far? This beer is the only thing keeping me alive, man. I am so, so far gone on this team. I'm right back to, to square one where we just started. I mean, I remember prior to the season start, how low I was on this team and and how much hope they gave me after a week one victory, but we're right back where we started, and uh, the future is bleak this season for the Jaguars, to say the very least. It sure is. Now, before we get into the good, the bad, and the ugly, which we will do in reverse order, we'll go ugly, bad, good, just so we can kind of round out that discussion from this game on at least talking about the few positives that you can take away from it. But before we get into that, We'll have to get into the injuries, which it's not too bad this week compared to what you saw last week. But Andrew Wingard, he is the only Jaguar that was injured on Sunday that Doug Marone has already pretty much ruled out for next week's showdown with the Lions. He has an abdominal strain, so he won't be able to go. Uh, Josh Lambeau, you know, the most accurate kicker in football, he will not return this week. But the goal is to get him back for the Jaguars Week 7 matchup on the West Coast with the Chargers. It sounds like Miles Jack, who has the ankle, Josh Allen with the knee, and C.J. Henderson with the shoulder. They all have a chance to play next week, but Marone said he'll know more on Wednesday. Wouldn't give us anything definitive there. So not too bad on the injury front here. There is some reason for optimism in regards to injuries. There's some optimism. I mean, with with Wingard out, really, let's be honest, how much impact is that going to make? I mean, this team hasn't been able to really, uh, you know, fill the holes when it comes to injuries. And it's really kind of puzzling, obviously, you know, the biggest one coming from the special teams. But puzzling on the defensive side, uh, you know, kind of getting into this week with three of your best players, if not the three best players at all phases on the defense, missing the game on Sunday, yet the defense probably performed the best it has all year for, for three quarters and, and really almost all of the game. So very puzzling, uh, you know, and if we have those guys back, that's great. I think anytime that you get, you know, Henderson, Miles Jack, and Josh Allen back on the field, you're going to be happy. You're going to be, you know, expecting a lot from those guys. But again, with them gone this week, the defense seemed to play the best it has all year. Yeah, I wouldn't say the defense played great. 
uh, and they were going up against an 0-4 opponent, but you're right. They did have some brighter moments than they did. And for, through three quarters, they certainly played a, a bit better than they had in most games uh, this year, at least. So maybe that's a reason for encouragement. Probably not. But moving on to the ugly, before we get into that, though, like to remind you to follow Jeremy on Twitter, if you're not already, at Jeremy Markoski. Myself at Jordan DeLugo and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. So yeah, the ugly, there's a lot of stuff that could have gone the ugly category or the bad category. We limited it to four things that were just really ugly on this one. I got to start out with the coverage from Chris Claybrooks on the outside and Trey Herndon at nickel. Both players were consistently picked on by Deshaun Watson to the tune of 11 completions on 14 targets. Each of them allowed a touchdown pass and a ridiculous 203 combined yards allowed through the air from Clay Brooks and Herndon. That is over half of the Texans' offensive output from a passing standpoint. I mean, what do you say about this performance from these two guys? The only thing you can say is it was absolutely terrible. I mean, I'm not sure, you know, if anything has to do with Herndon being moved inside, obviously, like I said, into the nickel, uh, you know, with DJ Hayden out. He's obviously been a very solid nickel guy, you know, as long as he's been here in Jacksonville. Uh, And you didn't see anything promising from the rookie, Chris Claybrooks. But honestly, in my opinion, it's pretty mind boggling, you know, that we saw him out there so frequently really coming into the season. If you asked me, he was strictly a kick and punt return guy. You know, you had gotten guys a little bit earlier in the draft that you thought would have more of an impact, uh, especially now, you know, with with some of these injuries on defense, you thought you'd see some of those guys and you haven't. You've you've seen, uh, you know, a guy you picked up very late and somebody that I thought was just going to be a specialist strictly. And, you know, did he get a lot of reps in camp? I'm not sure. You know, I didn't really see that. So that might be something, you know, worth looking into is, is why are some of these other guys, Josiah Scott, Luke Barku, you know, what is it that we're, you know, they're seeing in practice that they're giving Clay Brooks all these looks, uh, you know, and, and even then, why don't you keep Herner on the outside and try somebody else, uh, you know, in that slot, in that nickel formation, especially when things just were not going correctly for the Jaguars. Yeah, I think Herndon is a better fit at nickel. He obviously had a terrible game, and maybe he's just not ready to be on the NFL field right now. Um, After a pretty promising first year as a starter, he's looked terrible all season, whether it be in the nickel, whether it be on the outside. And then Clay Brooks, I'm going to be honest with you. I think this coaching staff said, we're going to have Clay Brooks on the active roster because we want him back at kick and punt. And then it didn't work out, but what you did see is he got on the field early in week one when they weren't really expecting him to, and then he played pretty well. So I think they just made a calculated decision. We're going to keep Clay Brooks up because he has the special teams value we want, and he showed that he can play a little bit in week one. Unfortunately, since week one, it has not worked out for Chris Claybrooks, and he's really not even made any sort of positive impact on special teams either. In fact, he's muffed a couple kicks, a kick and a punt. So I think they made a mistake. I think Luke Barku and Josiah Scott are both better corner packs when you look at the defensive side of the ball, and that's more important right now. Keelan Cole's doing fine back at kick returner. You're not really even forcing any punts, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, 
I think they made a calculated decision to keep Clay Brooks up, even though they know he's probably not as good of a cover man as Barku or Scott. And I think it was a mistake. Well, it's if it's a calculated decision, then it's obviously the wrong one, and it falls back on the coaching staff. If, if this is the calculated, you know, co- you know, so and so, if it's the calculated decision they're making, it's not the right one, and it's it's getting me jumbled just thinking about it. I mean, like you said, how else do you explain? I, it? I, I can't. I I have no explanation for it other than it's just bad coaching again and again and again. And I'm going to harp on that heavily today because I don't think it was just on the defensive side of the ball this week. I think there was terrible coaching on the offensive side of the ball. But getting back to the topic at hand, like you said, there has been no special teams production. You're not forcing teams to punt the ball. Clay Brooks has muffed some punts. I get he's got speed, but you know he's not really showing you anything in the coverage game, not enough to have him active. You're not getting the special teams, you know, output from him to keep him active. I understand that's where you want him to be. And he adds a lot of value in that category, but when he's been on the field in those regards, he hasn't played well. And then, you know, this week on defense, we saw the emergence of Sidney Jones, a guy who I thought shouldn't have even hit the practice squad. He should have been immediately to the active roster. He's the only guy who has, you know, more experience in the league and and he was a higher draft pick, but you've got to start making better decisions because what you're putting out there on the field is not a product that's going to, you know, get you in a position to win in the NFL. It's just really not. And we saw that on Sunday. Yeah. Again, 200 yards passing allowed between these two guys is just baffling as to why uh, Clay Brooks and Herndon, are getting as many reps as they are. And I think they got to make a move this week in terms of getting Barku uh, up. And also Josiah Scott, he was active, but he didn't play. You you got to trot those guys out. If, if Henderson's out again, you got to give them a chance over Herndon and Claybrooks, in my opinion. We'll see what the Jaguars do there. They probably won't make those moves, to be completely honest, because they seem to only fall into these lucky moves like, the one with Sidney Jones, if they're forced to fall into it. You know, they were forced to get Sidney Jones up with the injuries. He's clearly <laughs> a much better player than Clay Brooks and Herndon, and he might be the second best corner on the team, maybe the first best, who knows. But we'll talk about him more later. Back to the ugly. Two missed field goals, wide left on a 24-yarder for Hauschka, and then perhaps even more embarrassing than missing a 24-yarder is not having enough leg on a 49-yarder. I mean, this is an NFL kicker. Those field goals could have changed the complexion of the game heading into halftime, and unfortunately the Jaguars couldn't get either of them. We saw this a lot with his last three years in Buffalo, you know, the distance issues. And, you know, coming onto the active roster immediately, he shows up on the injury report. You know, so we go with Rosas last week, and, and, and then Rosas gets hurt. So it's just like the plague of kickers on here in Jacksonville, but – he was very obviously not ready to play, you know? So you have to, again, from a coaching standpoint, understand that if you don't have it, you don't have it. I mean, you're going to have to go for it. I'd like to see a lot more of that. We expected a lot more of that, obviously. I was fully expecting Hauschka to not play. Uh, you know, if, if you read my keys to victory, I totally thought he was not even going to see the field. Um, it, it just it doesn't make any sense, you know, especially after that first missed one. I don't. I don't know how you turn to him after that. You know, after you, you know, get get the you know the big play to, to get yourself another chance to put three up on the board, and he puts it short. You know, it just it it does not make any sense. I understand that was probably your only choice there in that situation towards the end of the half, but it's just been an all around nightmare. And and the Jaguars are going to need to start going for it. 
uh, after they score touchdowns, if they score touchdowns, you know, and, and in these short situations where fourth and one, fourth and two, you know, we're looking at 23 or field goal. If we can't hit that, we're in big trouble. So they're going to be, need to be more aggressive offensively. Yeah. And the Jaguars did activate um, John Brown, who they signed to their practice squad last week. So there will be a new kicker. It looks like for week six against the lions. I mean, at least you're not getting what you saw with Hauschka. At least it's something new. At least you have a chance to make a kick if you've got John Brown back there, hopefully. I mean, you would hope, but uh, outside of Josh Lambeau, there hasn't really been much that you could look at and have a promising feeling going forward. Let's just be honest. It, it, there's not. and But there's nothing worse than what you oh, saw from House. Man, I, it can't be worse than you that. Say that. You say that, but let's not put any money on it, man. I, I just Time and time again, it gets worse, and that's, that's just been, you know, the reoccurring theme, not only just this year, but in the history of the Jaguars. And I feel like now more than ever, uh, you know, I feel like this is almost a low point of this franchise. And I feel like we're getting really close to it. And you know what? And I, and I don't want to say it because I'll, I'll save it for later this year, but there's, there's a very key matchup down the stretch here uh, that the Jags do not pull it out. That will mark the lowest point in franchise history. I don't want to get into it until we have to down the road. So everyone listening, just wait and you'll hear, uh, you know, it's going to be weeks down the road, but we're coming up on potentially the lowest point in franchise history. It just hasn't been good. And, uh, you know, can you expect more on Sunday? I hope, but I won't expect any more until we get Josh Lambeau back on the field. And with that hamstring issue for a kicker, that's troubling. You know, who knows how long that's going to be. Yeah. Like I said, Doug Marone talked about it today. He does think Lambeau, that they can potentially get Lambeau back for the Chargers game. If not, it'll be, um, you know, after the bye week. But moving on, still on the ugly here. The Darren Fells touchdown. You're in zone coverage. Joe Schobert clearly passes it off, and there's no one there behind him. Josh Jones is off on the other side of the field while Jared Wilson and Dakota Allen are both covering the flat simultaneously, which obviously is a miscommunication. Not sure who was supposed to be back there, but that's the type of stuff that loses you ball games. It's miscommunication, and it's people not knowing what in the hell they're doing. And again, I don't want to harp on it any more than I have to, but it's coaching. And I don't think you could sit anywhere outside of this and say that it's not just poor coaching. They did not have those guys ready to play overall. I mean, we'll get into it. The defense played pretty well considering, I mean, obviously the Texans did not have a great start to the season and we were looking at a poor offense, but more. So, Jeremy, go ahead. Let's not say the defense played well. No, the defense, Let's say they played well for the Jaguars. Okay. Defense. Okay. If we're looking at that, yes, but relatively speaking after since week one and even then week one we got a win but i think the defense played horrible i think this was by far their best performance of the year let's not say they played well but it was the best performance of the year which is a little puzzling uh but i mean more so i think this kind of shows you how bad the texans might also be um but it, it just it complete miscommunication not in the right spots we've got two guys covering the flat down low with, with nothing there it just there was nothing that led them, you know, to, to, to flow that way, getting everybody out of position. I mean, Fells was wide open. There was no one that was going to touch him. It was just a complete botched coverage, you know, and, and, and that was a big point in the game for sure. Yeah. And getting into our final ugly, 
Red zone play calling, absolutely abysmal. The Texans were ready for every single look the Jaguars gave them. And to run a halfback pass on fourth and one when you've got James Robinson in the backfield, just give them the ball up the gut. Uh, even on the touchdown in the, the touchdowns that they scored in the red zone, it was more of an individual making a play, Gardner Minshew hanging in there and finding someone, more so than a solid play design. It's frustrating because the red zone stuff had been a lot better for the Jaguars in 2020 before this game. It had, and you know there were some good plays you know, unfortunately in the red zone, not unfortunately, but unfortunately for the overall aspect of things, you did see a few good things, but overall red zone offense was, was completely horrible. Uh, you had many opportunities to really put this one away and really get out ahead early. And you didn't, um, and kind of to put this in the ugly category as a whole, I just think the offense in total was ugly and you might disagree. And we can kind of get into that more when we get to the bad stuff, cause it'll kind of play into it. But when you look at what this team did and, and, how they shot themselves in the foot with bad play calling and, and Minshew feeling pressure when it wasn't there. I think all around, which is a terrible showing when you've got the defense holding this Texans offense for, you know, for a lot better than what I expected. I expected Deshaun to go out. And again, my bold prediction was like over 400 yards and four touchdowns. He had two interceptions. You know, they, they played him relatively well. Again, not good. They didn't play well, but they had the offense in a position to win. The offense could not capitalize. Bad play calling, questionable play, questionable play calling, uh, you know, not finishing drives. All of this led into it. And, you know, this is the fifth time that Minshew has thrown for 300 yards and lost. Fifth time. The Jaguars are 0-5 when Minshew throws for 300 yards. And why is Minshew throwing the ball 50 times 50 times, 49 to be exact, against a defense that has failed to stop the run all year long. And you had James Robinson, who has been fantastic through four games. They should have given him 20, 25 carries at minimum. I know his his average was not great, but he only had 13 carries. You didn't give him enough carries to really make an impact, break one big, put your offense in a good position to capitalize. I don't know if they would have anyway. It seems like they weren't capitalizing at all. But you didn't even give yourself a chance. You didn't give this guy a chance to show you that he can be your bell cow back at all against a team that could not stop the run. This should have been his game, and they completely took it away from him. Yeah, sorry if y'all just heard that. We got a dog barking in the background here. But I agree with you completely, and that was actually where I out, did the outline here. That The pass-to-run ratio was the first thing there for me on the bad. But – Right before we get into the bad, please remember to check out GenJag.com for all the latest Jaguars news, analysis, videos. And of course, check out the shop. Got a ton of fun merch. Probably going to do a little merch drop tomorrow morning. You can check that out again, GenJag.com. So, pass-to-run ratio like you mentioned. You've got Menchu passing it 40-plus times for four straight games. Doesn't make any sense. You've got James Robinson only carrying the ball 13 times this game. This is a game that was well in hand for... Three quarters, and you're just not giving him the ball. Uh, you're giving Chris Thompson the ball inside the red zone instead of James Robinson. You're asking James Robinson to throw the ball inside the red zone. And honestly, yeah, you said that 3.7 yards per carry. It was really 3.7 yards per carry because there was a couple plays that got blown up in the backfield by no fault of his own for James Robinson. One of them you had James O'Shaughnessy missing a block. Another one you had a run blitz where, you know, they have more blitzers than you guys have blocking. So Robinson's going to get stopped in the backfield. Other than that, 
You've got 11 carries that were pretty productive for the Jaguars. And Jay Gruden has talked about this over and over and over again. He wants to run the football more. Why isn't he doing it? This is the first time this year that I've really wanted to walk up to Jay Gruden and just grab his face and look him straight in the eyes and say, what the hell are you doing? I understand his West Coast vertical offense, but you've also got to understand where you're performing well. And up until this point, the run offense had been much improved. It had been something that I did not expect from this team. So you lean on that, especially with the matchup. And there was just not a good ratio. The, the offense was not balanced, you know, and, and I, I hate to relate it, but honestly, it's kind of like this whole game, you know, for lack of a better comparison, was kind of like the third quarter of last week where you saw some chances, you saw, you know, some 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 life and, and you had a chance to go down and score and go down and, and take a lead, keep a lead, put this game away. And it just you kept shooting yourself in the foot, like you said. You, you the only run on that on that one drive down the red zone was was a Chris Thompson. You hand the ball to Chris Thompson. Why isn't James Robinson getting that carry down in the red zone, down at crunch time, and then on a fourth and one, you want to get fancy and try to do this little halfback? What it looked like? It looked like, from my opinion, rewatching it, it looked like it was a read. It looked like he took the snap, saw the middle kind of get congested, and then he looked to roll out, and then he goes to pick up the ball and throw it where. If you look at the back end, there's nobody open, so I don't even know why he picked up the ball. At that point, put your head down and try to get the yard. But on fourth and one in a crunch time situation. Because he's not a quarterback. He doesn't know what the hell exactly, he's doing. Exactly. But but if you're going to do it, at least do it right. You have. It doesn't look like that was coached up very well. It looks like it was something that maybe Jay Gruden just had the bag of tricks. If it's first and goal, okay, maybe. If it's first and goal, let's throw him off a little bit. I like that. Cool. But on fourth and one? No, no, thank you. You line up, you pound the rock down their throat like you're supposed to do all game, like you, like everyone has done. The, the Texans cannot stop the run, and you have a great running back, and you're trying to have him throw the ball. Also, personnel-wise, if you're going to do that, why not do it with LaVisca, a, a guy who's been a Swiss knife for you all year, who you've you've done a lot of stuff with him in the backfield. Line that up and run it with LaVisca because I think he honestly – gives you more of, of a chance to do some different things. I think the defense kind of knew once Gardner ripped out, at least if I'm playing defense for the Texans, I'm, we're going right up the middle. We haven't seen anything from James Robinson besides running the ball between the tackles you know, all year long. He hasn't done anything fancy yet, and, and why would they? We haven't seen it at all. So if you're going to do that, execute it well, but they didn't even catch him off guard. It was just an absolute total – Total crap show of a. I don't even know what was going on there. So, like I said, I want to go up to Jay Gruden, grab him by the face, and just scream, "What the hell are you doing, man?" Yeah, that was unbelievable. Especially you see the cornerback not giving Minshew any respect on the left side of the field there. So it was just an all around terrible play call. And sure, if it gets executed properly. You can be like, oh, my God, Jay Gruden's a genius. But the bottom line is I'm fourth and one against the Texans who have a terrible run defense. When you have a good run-blocking offensive line and a good running back, you run it up the gut. It's it's simple as that. There's no question about it. I, I just I can't even can't even harp on this anymore because I, I just don't, I don't understand. And it falls back on yeah. coaching every time. Every time. It's coaching. It's coaching. That was a terrible call. And if you're Doug Marone, you're the head coach, you got to veto that. If you hear that coming in, you've got to nix that right in the butt. I don't know why he didn't. If he's given Jay Gruden full control, I get that. Uh, you know, you're not running the offense. Doug Marone seems to be a very CEO type of head coach. But 
if you're going to be that CEO type of head coach, and you're not really going to have an offensive specialty or a defensive specialty. You got to make executive decisions, you know, in that situation, that was an executive decision where he should have, you know, talked over to Jay and said, no, run the ball. You know, don't, let's not do anything crazy here. Fourth and one, we've got a chance to go. And if I'm not mistaken, they had a chance to take the lead. You go, you get that. I don't know what was, what was that? I just keep asking myself, what was that? Doug Marone, you've got to veto that call. You've got to step in and say, we're not doing that. That is absolute nonsense right here. Trying to get too fancy and look how it turned out. Yeah, you're right about it, man. You got too cute. And Jacksonville, this is not a franchise where you get cute. This is a franchise that is a blue collar. Run the football when you need to run the football against a team that can't stop the run. It doesn't make any sense. Now, we do have some breaking news like I said, the Jaguars did promote um, John Brown, the kicker, to the active roster. They also promoted Karan Reed to the active roster, who played a little bit. They did release Stephen Hauska and Carl Davis. Davis was suspended for the first five games of the year. Um, and then they also signed Jabal Shear to the practice squad, who they had in last week for a workout. Getting Sheard in here, that could really dramatically help out that defense in terms of consistency. Uh, defensive end. We talked about him last week. A lot of experience, experience inside the division, good against the run, pretty decent pass rusher as well. Getting more depth along that defensive line is really going to help. And then Andrew Wingard with that abdominal strain that I mentioned, he will go on to IR, so he'll miss at least three weeks. Adios, Hauschka. Good riddance. Sorry, bud, but that didn't work out. And, and, now you wasted five weeks holding a guy on your squad that was suspended, and now you're going to cut him. It seems like another fumble situation. Jabal Sheard. Well, he was not on the, no, active, he wasn't on the roster, active roster, so. but you could have had somebody else fill that spot who wasn't suspended for five weeks. And then you, and then you just cut him. So you give him all these looks. I'm assuming uh, they were still practicing. Um, I'm assuming he was still running with, with the practice squad. And you wasted all that time. Five weeks, all those reps could have gone to somebody else. Now you're just going to cut him. Jabal Sheard. Why are we on the practice squad? Just like Sidney Jones, what are you doing putting that man on the practice squad? If you're going to activate him ahead of the game, that needs to be done. I understand maybe if you're just bringing him in, COVID protocols, got to get some knowledge of the playbook. But, I mean, defense is relatively basic in the NFL. Now, I don't mean that from a standpoint of that, you know, it's all basic, but you can get some packages for him early where he can get in and make an impact. You know, nothing crazy. We're not going to drop him into coverage or do any you know, crazy stunts or, you know, just get him into the game, see what kind of impact he can make. He does not need to be on the practice squad with the type of experience that he has in this league. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I'm not going to be too critical because it's good getting him in here. I'm sure they have a plan in place for getting him onto the field. So happy to see him arrive in Jacksonville for sure. Now getting back to the bad, we've got quite a bit to go here with the bad. This kind of goes back to Jay Gruden, maybe a little bit on Minshew, but DJ Chark, I mean, four targets. You can't say five if you want to include that pass interference that he drew in the end zone, but this is a guy that has got to get the ball early and often. Gardner Minshew said it after the game. They've got to focus on getting him the ball more, and he hasn't been targeted enough this season in general, but, you know, he had been targeted a decent amount in most games, but only get him four targets in a game like this. Jay Gruden likes to spread the ball around, but you have got to feed the beast. No matter how much you like to spread the ball around, there's still going to be a guy 
who's going to be the guy. You know, everybody has the guy, or at least that's your hope to have the guy. I don't care how much you want to get the bottle of Visca and Keelan Cole and Colin Johnson or Eifert, all these guys. Yeah, you want to spread the ball around, but a bulk of these looks have to go to the guy, and DJ Chark is the guy. He proved it last year. He can be the guy you need in clutch situations. He makes big catches. He makes big plays. And like you said, four targets, that's laughable. He should be seeing double-digit targets. And again, I'm not sure what it was. You know, he's coming back off off an injury, um, and now he's got another one that's going to be nagging him. So maybe he wasn't ready, but if he's not ready, don't put him out there. If he's out there, 10 targets at minimum. You've got to get this guy the ball consistently. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. He looked all right to me when he was targeted. He looked pretty good. I think you've got to feed him the ball, and it shows based on his uh, – ridiculous heading into the game he was 15 of 16 on you know when he was targeted by Menchu, he had caught 15 of those 16 passes so i don't know how you look at um how you look at that and you don't circle that if you're jay gruden and be like feed this man the ball and then again this week three of four he caught three of the four targets on the other target that's not included because of a penalty. He drew a pass interference. Why aren't you throwing this guy the ball more? Especially when you're throwing the ball 40-plus times. It doesn't make any sense. Absolutely. Especially if you're throwing the ball 49 times. 49 times, he should at least be getting 15, 20 targets. You know, that that's just, that's just absolutely insane. And, you know, if you want to say that now, we can look back at the rest of the season. Yeah, he missed a game, but coming into this week, only 16 total targets – so, you know, he's only averaging five a game as it is. That's not going right. to get it done. It's absolutely not going to get it done. So, you know, there's a lot that plays into it, I'm sure, more than what we're seeing. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is that man has to get the ball more. He's got to get more looks. And, you know, kind of coupling in that with this bad, the sense of pressure that Minshew has in the pocket seems to be getting worse. And, and it has to absolutely be be noted here in the bad section of this week. There was a play where the offensive line held up better than you could ever ask any offensive line for the first two seconds. I mean, there was no bend on the edge. There was no penetration up the middle. The line was flat as could be. Next thing you know, Minshew's dancing around, moving right. What are you doing? I don't understand. We talked about it last week. What is, is it size? You having trouble seeing? But there's this false sense of pressure that you don't see from top-level quarterbacks, and we're seeing it from him week in and week out. And this week, I think it was just absolutely disgusting to see that. I don't know if there's no faith in your offensive line, what it is, but it has to get corrected because, like I said, the line was flat. There was a play. The line was absolutely flat. There was no bend, no inside penetration. Minshew took maybe two, three steps, and he's moving around already. So that's going to be a thing, too. And once you do that, you're limiting yourself to one half of the field. Because if you're smart, which he has shown that he's pretty smart in most situations, you're not throwing the ball back across the side of the field. So once you start moving to the right, once you start getting out of the pocket, start getting yourself set on the opposite side of the field, you're you're narrowing your window on where you can throw the ball. And this might play into DJ Chark as well. If he's lining up on the left side and you're pulling out right, you're shrinking the field and you're losing all those options. So something's got to be done with him staying in the pocket keeping his head cool, and going through his reads slowly. I haven't seen that enough, really, at all. I didn't see it at all on Sunday. 
Yeah, a lot of times it looks like he's got an accelerated internal clock. And if it could just slow down a hair. We're not talking about a second, a half second. We're talking about milliseconds. They could just slow down. He could become a much more effective quarterback than he already is, which for the most part throughout his 17 games that he's started now, he has been an effective quarterback. And he, he was pretty effective um, for periods in this game. But again, there's times when he leaves the pocket way too early, and it's very frustrating. You do see him be able to make plays with his legs, but it seems like teams are kind of honing in on that and limiting that compared to what you saw earlier in his career. He's still young. He's still got a long way to go. But if he could just get that internal clock slowed down just a hair, that would pay huge dividends for him. And I agree with you. He left it too early on several occasions. But I do think part of that maybe in this game was early on. The Texans were creating some pressure, and I think that was their plan, get in his head. Bradley Roby said after the game they thought he was panicking a little bit from some of the pressure they were applying. And I think that Roby was right. And it's it's just frustrating to see for a young guy that's asked to do so much uh, and, and have so little support, generally speaking, on the defensive side of the ball. I do think the pass pro was not as good as it had been in most games, especially from Jawan Taylor. He gave up six pressures. J.J. Watt pushed him around a little bit, especially early on. Taylor's not playing bad football. But that's a guy with such a high ceiling. He's got to get closer to his ceiling, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. That's not an outing that you want to see from, you know, your hopeful right tackle of the future. And I say that with a question because did we see the same thing last year that we're seeing from this guy now? Again, like you said, he hasn't played horrible, but he got bullied a little bit on Sunday. And I don't know if the lights were too bright. J.J. Watt is obviously a great star in this league, but that's the time when you need to hone in and really show everybody what you can do. You know, when you're playing well, you know, in, in these matchups that favor you, now you got to play well in a matchup that doesn't necessarily favor you. JJ Watt has had a lot of success in this league leading up to now. Obviously he has regressed a little bit over the last few years, but you've got to keep your quarterback clean. It all plays, you know, into itself. If, if you start giving up pressure early, Minshew's going to get antsy, but he still needs to focus back in and realize when there's pressure and when there isn't. That's what you see out of great quarterbacks, and you're not seeing it out of him. And I think we're starting to see the full book be written on Minshew, and and I may get attacked for this maybe a little early, but the the split between last year and what we're seeing this year, it, it's absolutely two different quarterbacks in my opinion. You know, And I don't know if it was the fact that last year he was playing with nothing to lose. This year he's got everything to lose, and maybe the pressure's too big for him, but – we're seeing some of these things that you shouldn't see from a second-year quarterback. We should see some progression. We're seeing some regression, and it's just not a promising look going forward. A lot of these young guys are very, very shaky and inconsistent, and, and Jawan Taylor's going to fall right into that if he can't become a consistent guy, and I didn't really see that from him on Sunday. Yeah, I'm not really trying to make this a Minshew debate right now because – we can talk about that the rest of the season, the rest of the week, later in the show, trying to get through the bad and stuff right now. But I don't think we've really seen regression. I think you see him in a new offense. I see work working through things. I don't think we've seen the progression you would want to see. And yes, you want to see it, but this is still a really young kid. And 
most second year quarterbacks still have plenty of struggles. I'm not sitting here trying to defend his play, but you look around the league, pretty much every second year quarterback is going through their fair share of ups and downs. But uh, for me to be critical of him, I will go to some critical Minshew talk here. He could not connect with Cole outside of that uh, touchdown pass, which is obviously a beautiful pass and catch, and then the pass on the sideline where Cole got his uh, both feet down in bounds, which was also another great play. But he targeted on four other occasions, and Cole was pretty much open on all of those, and it just looked like Minshew missed him. Maybe there was miscommunication on where Cole should have been, but Cole was open and Minshew missed him in my from what I saw. Keelan, yeah, Keelan Cole has been making a great a great, I guess, step forward, for lack of better terms. I don't know how I was going to explain that, but he has really stepped up this year from my perspective. Um, he's been a guy that, you know, you kind of needed a third guy. It seems like D.D. Westbrook, the book's pretty much closed on him from what I can tell. And Keelan Cole has been making every opportunity uh, to, to stand out and become a guy that you want to keep going forward. But like you said, you know, if the quarterback's missing you, there's not really much you can do there, and that connection has to be there because Keelan Cole has, has shown that he can be a guy that can produce. He can make great plays. We saw it last year with the spectacular catch uh, against New England. I mean, you've seen these things. Two years I was actually ago. two yeah, years, two years, ago, years ago, ago. Yeah, you're right. 2018. Geez, <laughs> was that week four? 2018. Yeah. So I mean, we've seen sparks from him, and and again this year, I think you know we've seen him become more of a focal point in the offense, but there's not a lot you can do when the quarterback just can't get you the ball. Yeah, it was frustrating because usually those two do have really good chemistry. I think it was, I think if you're going to look at anything from this game and say that that was an aberration, I think Minshew not being able to hit Cole enough probably was because they have been so good together this year and even last year uh, towards the end of the season when Minshew became the starter again. Uh, Looking at the defensive side of the ball, You lose Josh Jones to that ejection. You know, I'm fine with the ejection. I get it. He led with his helmet, even though Cooks did dip his head, which is what caused the helmet to helmet. Uh, But no Josh Jones for most of the second half. No Josh Allen. No Miles Jack. No C.J. Henderson. I mean, how can you possibly expect a positive result uh, down the stretch? And then you see it. The defense just fell apart in the fourth quarter. Absolutely. They just unraveled. And... I don't even necessarily want to want to put the defense here in the bad category. They were bad, you know, but again, for them, they are a bad defense. They played three quarters of, of great football. Three quarters of great football, in my opinion, forcing two turnovers, only 13 points through the first three quarters against the Houston offense that I thought was going to roll. You can't ask for anything more especially from what we've seen from them this season. The offense has been trying to keep up and keep up and keep up with them, and they haven't been able to. And the one time where, you know, for whatever reason, you've got a defense who, again, has held Deshaun Watson, a Deshaun Watson-led offense, to 13 points through three quarters, you can't pull it out. And, and I can't fault them for that. They did everything they could up until then, and then they just lost it. But the offense didn't put themselves in any position to make it easier on the defense. If you capitalize and you've got some points on the board and you're forcing the Texans now to try to push the ball and make some things happen, you know, you might see a better result. So the defense did what they could, I think, through three quarters, especially with missing those three key guys. Uh, you know, they couldn't cap it off and really play a complete game, but I think they did enough 
to put this team in a position to win, you know, and, and what are you going to do time and time again, you know, through three quarters again, I'm going to go back to it. 13 points. You're playing your heart out, missing your top three guys and, and your offense just can't get it done for you. It's probably very disheartening uh, from their point of view. Yeah, I agree. It's got to be disheartening, but Again, 17 points in the fourth quarter when the offense is trying to battle back a little bit. Uh, You're right. The offense did not take advantage of what the defense did for them early on. The defense gave them two turnovers. They weren't able to capitalize on either of them. Part of that falls on Steven Hauschka and the red zone play calling, of course. But, yeah, it's frustrating. And then I, I guess my point, too, would be if you do have Josh Jones, Josh Allen, Miles Jack, CJ Henderson in that fourth quarter, is this a different ball game? Uh, you'd like to think it would be, right? I mean, if you just look at it on paper, those are your top three guys. Yeah, I think it would be for sure. I mean, especially when you look at how much they attacked Clay Brooks. If you have CJ Henderson out there, that ain't flying. I mean, if they're if they're toasting, you know, the best that you have to offer, that's a different story. But they weren't. And and you'd have to look at that and say at any point, if I have my three best players out there, maybe we don't give up that 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 big letdown in the fourth quarter. Again, I don't know, but it's you'd be hard pressed to look at that from any angle and say, "Hey, if we had these three guys, we have been better." Well, of course. How could you say no to that? Again, it's your three best defensive players in all three aspects of the defense: defensive line, pass rush, linebacker, and your cornerback. Those are your three best players on all three levels, and you didn't have them. So you would have to assume this is a big assumption from what this team has shown us this year. But you'd have to assume that the defense would have had a little bit more of an edge had those three played. Yeah, and now getting into my final bad. I'm, I'm not sure if you have anything else to add to it, but my final. In the bad category, Taven Bryan, man. I mean, this is a guy that I think he closed out 2019 really strong based on a lot of film study I did, based on the stats as well when you look at what he was doing pressure-wise and getting run stops. He just has not brought it. Uh, I think this is a good week for me to talk about this because he did actually flash a couple times he this did. week. Uh, he, got, he got a pressure, and he also got a big – uh, run stuff in the backfield, but no consistency from this guy at all. He's not not helping you out. No pocket push on a regular basis. Not making a big enough impact on the run game. I just think it's if he doesn't really turn it on here in the next few weeks, it's time to start looking for a three tech of the future. I've told you since day one, man. I I think this is make or break for for Taven Bryant. I mean. And like you said, he made a good play early on, stuffed the run in the backfield. But after that, it, it was it, where in the world is Taven Bryant? I mean, it's it's like harder than finding Waldo in a Where's Waldo. He just doesn't show up on tape last year towards the end of the year. Yeah, he showed up a little bit. He made some good plays, had a great game against the Colts down the stretch. But was that really enough for us to turn the page on him and, and think that he was going to make a jump? For me, it wasn't. Because like you said, consistency is key. And this guy has not been consistent you know, through his time here in Jacksonville. He makes plays here and there, but, you know, towards the end of the season last year, the Jags had nothing. You know, it was, it was the games were of no importance to us. So I understand that he made some flashes, but right now, through the first five weeks, these games are important. This is a new season. You've got to give it your all. You should always be giving your all, but this is like crunch time. This is where things can really shape up, you know, for, for lack of better terms, for the difference, you know, this team can make from last year to this year. And he needed to be a key part of that. And he hasn't been. 
He's been completely a ghost through the first five weeks, not making consistent plays, making one here here and there. But from a first round pick, you expect a lot more. And like you said, I think you've got to be on the look, uh, you know, for for a new three tech here on out. And again, now you're back in another hole on defense. You've got to look for another guy to fill a hole on defense. And we haven't seen anything from the younger guys either that has really shown that, you know, once he's gone, we can just slide somebody else back in there. I'd like to see a little bit more impact from maybe a guy like Devon Hamilton, you know, who you've been high on through the first five weeks of the season. You'd need something, and we haven't seen it yet. I mean, I've seen more from Devon Hamilton than I have from Taven Bryan, to be completely honest. And Hamilton was thrust in the role that nobody expected him to be in. You thought Al Woods and Rodney Gunter were going to be out there a lot. Unfortunately, neither of them is playing football this year. Al Woods opted out, obviously, and Gunter has the heart condition. So it's just a frustrating situation there. But yeah, Taven Bryan, I wanted to comment on this this week because I thought, you know, maybe some people will be like, oh, he made some plays in this game. Yeah, he made two plays that were kind of nice. Other than that, he pretty much did nothing. So this is a guy that is not improving. It's not over for him, but he has never gotten out to a good start in a season, and you can't just have a guy out there that can only finish season strong. you got to have a guy that can play all 16 games and play effective football, and he's just not doing that at this point. Exactly. You can't have a guy who just turns it on towards the end of the season when everything's over. We're not looking for that. We need guys who are you know, going to produce consistently throughout the year and put this team in a chance to win and in a position to win. And if he's not making you better, he's not doing anything for you. And personally, I don't think he's making this defense any better. So now I'd like to see some of these younger guys, Devon Hamilton specifically, I want to see them get a lot more playing time. You know, In my opinion, I'm going to ask you, in my opinion, the book is closed at this point on Tavon Brown. We're five weeks in, uh, you know, to this year, and, and we haven't seen enough to really give him the time that we have. So what do you think? Should we start turning to some of these younger guys and seeing what kind of production we can get from them now that we're one and four and everything looks like it's right back to where we started? Yeah, I think you got to try to play Devon Hamilton maybe at three techniques, see if he can push the pocket. He has shown potential to do that in Jacksonville and he did it quite a lot even though he played primarily nose tackle he has shown the ability to push the pocket you got Doug Costin who was very difficult to block during training camp maybe you get him out there trying to make some plays but yeah I agree with you 100% Taven Bryan's career isn't over but the optimism that he could potentially live up to a first round selection I don't see that happening. It, it brings me right back to a guy like Tyson Alualu. And again, it's not necessarily their fault that they got drafted the position they did. It's your front office and your scouting department and just scratching your head and asking what the hell was that pick. But I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, another guy who was supposed to have a lot of upside on the interior of the defensive line, just not panning out. Like you said, his career is not over uh, by any means. Obviously, you're seeing a resurgence of Alu-Alu out out in Pittsburgh, but I don't necessarily know if if Brian is going to be in the Jaguars' future plans. He hasn't shown any reason as to why the Jaguars should include him. Yeah, got to step up, bottom line. Now, again, would like to thank the good people over at Bold City Brewery as I pop another top One down, one to go. (laughs) That's right. So getting into the good, there was some cool developments in this game. I think the most surprising one, perhaps, just because you haven't seen him in a Jaguars uniform before, outside of, you know, what he had to do when he got called upon in week four, which was not a ton. But Sidney Jones, first start of his career, 
allowed one completion on five attempts uh, in coverage, three pass breakups. One of those pass breakups led to a Jared Wilson pick that uh, completely flipped the field. Wilson was able to bring it back 48 yards. And then he got an awesome diving interception of his own. He allowed a passer rating against Deshaun Watson of zero in coverage. What a first start for him and Jax. He's got to be the starter on the outside opposite C.J. Henderson from here on That's out. That's exactly what I was thinking, 100%. And again, we'll go back to to you know when we first kind of got wind of this signing. Sidney Jones is a guy who was very highly touted out of college, had great length, was very physical. He was a great corner. You know, he was, you know, being looked at as a first-round talent, fell into the second round, injuries kind of, you know, slowed his development in Philadelphia. And sometimes a change of scenery is all you need. And the Jaguars brought him in, and my initial thought was, this guy right here is probably better than every defensive back on this roster, maybe besides one or two. Maybe if you want to see what you got in CJ, and, and DJ Hayden has been productive for a few years now. But this is a guy who, had again, has has so much upside, so much promise. I don't know why they didn't want to get him looks early, because you haven't really seen much from the other guys that would show you any different. I think that the, the front office, the, the coaching staff, needs to go with their gut more. And if that wasn't your gut feeling, I don't know what was bringing in Sidney Jones. But again, revitalizing that career, I think he played out of his mind. He played absolutely outstanding. And, you know, he's got a chip on his shoulder, I'm sure. He's got to kind of find his way back in the NFL. And when you got a guy that plays like that, you've got to keep him out there. There's no reason for him to not get snaps. So, you know, going into the next few weeks, I, I fully expect to see him opposite of CJ Henderson on the outside because Train Herndon has not been getting it done. And he was a guy who I was, you know, a little bit higher on than most coming into the season. I thought he showed some promise, but Sidney Jones really played lights out, man, and he has to get some more reps going forward. Yeah, he was my favorite cornerback coming into the uh, draft in 2017. That was kind of in the infancy of when I really started diving deep into draft classes, but he's so talented, really would have been a top 20 pick had it not been for his injury that he suffered, unfortunately, during the draft process. But he's a guy that all the talent in the world, keep him out there, let him let him see if he can keep making plays. And if you have him and Henderson playing at a high level, you can start playing much better defense against the past pretty quickly. And that could be really exciting. Maybe allow those um, pass rushers to get after it a little bit uh, if you can just cover for a split second longer. And speaking of those pass rushers, Dewan Smoot, he got the most playing time he's seen this year. All he did was get six pressures and the only sack of the game for the Jaguars defense. Dewan Smoot is a guy who I talked about prior to the season as being somebody who needs to make an impact. Because, you know, let's face it, we are down pass rushers and really – you know, Josh Allen was going to be the guy. You hoped you would see something from Caleb on Chase on who I think has not played all that well up until this point. Again, he's a rookie. I understand that. I don't know if they necessarily got him in the right role or if he's just not ready for that yet, you know, with the way they have him playing. But Dewan Smoot was a guy who I thought really needed to step up and be your big end. You know, a guy who's going to put his hand in the dirt every time he's on the ball and really get after the quarterback. So, we need to see more of that. He needs to get more playing time, in my opinion, um, and, and hopefully we can get some more promising results. But like you said, you know, wasn't really, you know, forcing too much rush up up, up on the end on the tackles, and, and you've got to see more of that because we're going to have quarterbacks down the stretch here who have great offensive lines in front of them and are just going to sit in the pocket all day long. Yep, 
Yep, after that bye week, it's going to be really tough sledding for this Jaguars team, and especially that pass rush, like you mentioned. Switching sides of the ball, LaVisca Chenault. He just continues to ball out. Caught seven of eight targets, moved the change a lot for the Jaguars. He just continues to be a guy that not only is he making these plays, but the way he's making them, he's got vision in the open field. He's got power to run through tacklers. He just seems to be the whole package at receiver for the Jaguars. Absolutely. I think he is a playmaker. And let's hold it there, and I'll tell you why here in a second. He's a playmaker. He's been consistent. Um, He has been everything you've wanted him to be. I mean, he, he's a he's a five tool guy. You know, he he's got speed. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. Uh, you know, he, he he can he can get out there and make all the plays you need him to, to make. But I'm slowly starting to think that maybe we're seeing his ceiling. I don't want to say that too early. I know it's early on, but he looks like he might just be this kind of Swift's Army knife who can do everything particularly well. But he's not really doing anything great. He's being extremely consistent, and I know it's probably gonna not sit well with a lot of people. He's making great plays. Like you said, seven or eight targets for 79 yards, but he doesn't really have any breakaway speed. We're not really going to get any big plays over the top to him. Uh, you know, he's not a guy that I've necessarily seen yet. Who's going to go up and get a ball and use his big body and, and be physical and, and kind of rebound that ball and, and take it away from an opposing cornerback. But what I will say is that they are playing his strengths really well. He's a guy that you can line up all over the field and, and, and can have a guy make plays uh, no matter where you line him up, you can run him, you can get him in the slot, you can run screens, all that stuff. He's making the plays when it matters, getting first downs. But are, is he going to become that big play guy, or is he just going to become, you know, your your you know kind of safety net guy? If you kind of get what I'm getting at, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's fair to put him in that box when they haven't given him the opportunity. It's early. To do that. It's early. You did see him do that in college. He was able to take the top off a of defense. Now. Is that his best role? Maybe not. Maybe just getting him the ball is his best role, getting him the ball as quickly as you possibly can. And I don't have a problem with that because when you've got DJ Chark, who is that complete receiver, and then you've got Visca, who's the guy who can do everything else, that's a great compliment. And you got Keelan Cole as well. you got to keep him around, in my opinion. So I really like what you've got with those receivers there. And I don't think you can put Visca in that box because you just simply haven't seen him get the opportunities to make those type of plays often. And we can definitely look at it, obviously, as the season progresses. I do understand it. It's early, uh, maybe too early to make that decision. But at the same time, though, when you have a guy that can do the other things like Chark, blow the top off a of defense, get behind uh, corners and safeties and, and go up and make good catches, but they're not doing that, you're kind of pigeonholing yourself you know, in regards to the way you can use the other guys, because if you don't have, well, it's not DJ Chark, it's not, it is, but it, but it's everything as a whole. So you start to see guys that have these certain skill sets, and maybe it's just like the Jacksonville hole, the Jacksonville pit. But you know, it, those skill sets can really show themselves at an explosive level when you have other guys doing the things that they're there to do. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's unfair to put them in that box because we haven't seen you know, the, the deep stuff from Chark and, and some of the other guys that we're expecting. Uh, but I really hope that LaVisca can become, you know, a, a, a big-time explosive playmaker. Again, he's been consistent, and I have to give him all the credit for that. I love LaVisca. Don't get me wrong. I've been preaching about him all year. I think he's fantastic. They use him in, in so many different ways, and he's been consistent. But I, I need to see, and I hope we will see, uh, you know, him kind of become that explosive 
take the ball to the house guy. Uh, however, he does it, but we just haven't seen it yet. I'd like to see that a little bit more. And again, like you said, you know, you've got to have the other guys on the outside, DJ Chark, you know, doing some things well as well to kind of, you know, open up those opportunities for him, which hopefully we'll see. And just the coaches to try to get him in that situation. They haven't been trying. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, again, and what does that fall back to? That falls back to coaching, which I think has not been great to start the year. But, um, you know, I, I just I – wa- I want him to become that superstar. I really do. But, I, I, you know, like you said, he blew off the lid, you know, on defenses at Colorado. So we're not – you know, this is the NFL. Are you going to be able to take that step and, and continue to be that guy? Haven't seen it necessarily yet. Seen a lot of great things. Don't get me wrong. I don't want that to overshadow what I'm saying. We've seen a lot of great things from LaVisca, but I'm ready to see more. Yeah, I think this criticism really is on the coaches, not Visca. That's fair. That's what. That's, that's how fair. I feel. I'm about ready it. to see. I'm ready to really, really see them. That's fine. I'm really, really ready to see them give him that chance because I, I want him to be that guy. Yeah. I think he can be that guy. We haven't seen it yet. He needs to get that opportunity, and maybe that is on coaching and not necessarily Visca. But uh, you know, if we don't start to see it soon, when will we? Yeah, you're right. Hopefully they'll get it done, but Jay Gruden does not seem to be understanding what he needs to do. You need to get DJ Chark the ball more. You need to run the ball more with James Robinson. You need to get Visca involved in more ways than just getting him these short passes. I agree with you. We'll see if Jay Gruden can turn it around after what was a tremendous start for him in the first two weeks, in my opinion, play calling. He's really fallen apart since that Miami game. But Going back to some of the good here, we still did see some very good things from Gardner Minshew. You saw him be able to make some plays with his legs. You saw the dimes to Keelan Cole in the end zone and on the uh, far left side where Cole got both feet down in bounds. So you're seeing some good things still. It's not all bad for Gardner Minshew, who is a second-year quarterback. And you look around the league, in my opinion, at what these other second-year quarterbacks are doing. And I think you got to be encouraged still. I just don't think you can bury Minshew after what we've seen from him the last three weeks. I'm not ready to bury him yet, but I am slowly starting to find out that I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum in regards to, you know, not being super impressed anymore. I think we kind of let the personality and and the the, the playmaking last year kind of get to us. I mean, Minshew did some good things, but again. Even though he was 31 of 49 with 300 yards, two touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over, you know, there were fumbles. He only posted a QBR of 69.7, which which is not, not great. great. I mean, so, you know, if you want to get caught up in, in the numbers and caught up in stuff like that, you know, it's really not that great. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, he completed 31 of 49 passes. We're 0 5 when he throws for 300 yards. That's not all on him, but the QBR kind of says it all, too. You know, he, he was missing throws. Um, you know, he, he was missing open receivers. There are some things that you are seeing from him. And I get that he's a second-year quarterback, but you are seeing other second-year quarterbacks kind of make improvements. I haven't seen big improvements from him. Also, he's in a different situation. What, which which second-year quarterbacks are making big improvements? I'm not seeing anybody making huge improvements, but I have been seeing improvements. But let me get that. Let me finish that here for a second. The thought is here. Gardner Minshew doesn't have the same cushion, the same leash that other second-year quarterbacks have. If if Kyler Murray goes out this year and doesn't make a huge jump, he makes you know small improvements. They're not going to get rid of Kyler Murray. This is this is Minshew's last and final rehearsal. This is all the chances he gets. All of his marbles are in this pile. He's going all in here. This is it. Because if the Jaguars don't perform well, they're moving on. It, it's it's not even it's as plain as day. This is the only chance he gets. So you got to capitalize on that, and you've got to be more 
You've got to be more than what you you know were expected to be. This can't just be a you know s- slow progressing season. He can't make small jumps. If he's going to be a guy who we're going to keep around and, and potentially not choose to replace with a high first round draft pick, he doesn't have the same uh, expectations of a normal second year quarterback. He has to make an even bigger jump. Yeah, and it's so unfortunate for him and unfair to him, really. But that's the nature of the situation. He's a six-round pick. He's short. He doesn't have a huge arm. The Jaguars aren't playing good football. They're loaded up with draft picks. They're probably going to have a new head coach and GM next year, which we'll talk about. It's unfortunate for him, but you're right. It's time for him to show more consistency. And he hasn't done it so far. But I still think it's way too early to bury him. It's been five games, and he hasn't been bad. He hasn't had one single game where it was like, man, he just really was terrible. And I don't think his play caller is doing him a lot of favors over the last three weeks as well. Now, moving on to some more good. Jared Wilson, he made his return after being on IR with a hamstring. He got that interception we talked about. I think overall he made a very nice impact for the Jaguars. Defense. Jared Wilson was a guy that, that I was really happy to see back there, uh, you know, and he's going to be have to be a consistent playmaker going forward with, with Winger going out now. But, yeah, you know, making plays on defense, coming out, you know, and just being that guy that he was, you know, within the first part of the season – He's going to be key going forward. Again, he's one of these guys that we've seen play a lot for this defense. And we see some of these younger guys that I expect to be moved around a lot. Hopefully, fingers crossed, that some of these young guys get moved around a lot and get moved in a lineup. He's going to have to be there to make sure that you don't have these miscommunication issues going forward. He's really going to have to be the quarterback on that defense, especially in that secondary room, because he's the guy that has the most reps. Uh, outside of DJ Hayden, who who we're not going to see here for a few weeks, so it's great to have him back. He's going to have to make an impact, and uh, you know he he made a great play this weekend. So we need to see more of that and see him grow as a safety as well. Yeah, excited about the potential to get him out there with hopefully Jack Henderson and Allen next week. See what they can do against the Lions. But uh, one more guy for good, in my opinion, Colin Johnson. He scored his first NFL touchdown, had a couple more impressive catches. Happy to see him get featured a little bit more, and hopefully it's a sign of things to come in terms of how much the Jaguars are going to use him on offense. He absolutely fits into the good category, getting that touchdown. He's a big guy, 6'6". You need to see him involved more, especially down in the red zone. Um, you know, I think the Jaguars actually find themselves in a position where Surprisingly enough, they have a lot of weapons. I think they have a very deep receiving core that could be very beneficial to them. But, you know, whether it be quarterback play, play calling, um, you know, things like that, they're not getting the chances that they deserve. But Colin Johnson is a guy that needs to get some looks, needs to get some of those reps, especially, I'm going to harp on it again, in the red zone. Let that big frame go up and pull a ball down for you. Absolutely. Now, that's going to do it for the good. Not a whole lot to talk about there. I think most of the good segment, we were just kind of bickering about Minshew here. but And maybe that Visca argument a little bit too. But that's all right. Not a problem. We will improve as a podcast. I can guarantee you that. The question at hand, though, can this team improve? We always know the answer is yes, they can improve. But the real question is, will they improve? Uh, There are reasons I think this team will get better. Health, like I said, 
They'll get back Josh Allen, Miles Jack, C.J. Henderson, Josh Lambeau, and hopefully eventually D.J. Hayden. The defense could end up playing better with all those guys back, and then you get Sidney Jones maybe continuing to ball out. You got Jared Wilson back now. You look at that, and there's reason to believe that side of the ball could get better. You look at all the good things going on on offense, even though this was kind of a stinker of a game, but with all that young receiving talent, with James Robinson, if you can just run the ball more and get a little less predictable in the red zone, then perhaps you see a team that can win some football games. The problem for me when I talk about this team improving is that I am sure they will improve. But in my opinion, the question is, will they win? And the answer to me is no, not with any consistency until the coaching improves. Todd Wash isn't going anywhere, it seems. This defense is not performing under Todd Wash. Jay Gruden talks about wanting to run the ball, and he's not doing it. The Texans know every single look they're getting from him in the red zone. Doug Marone is 12-25 and 25 since the start of 2018. Dave Caldwell, not a coach here, but in terms of talent acquisition, he's put together one winning team since 2013, and all his good draft picks from 2015 to 2017 are playing elsewhere. It's his fault, in my opinion, that there are not more talented 25- to 30-year-old players on this roster, even if you look at all the guys that left because of Coughlin. Caldwell should have been able to add more talented guys that are veterans heading into their prime of their career. It's a train wreck with no homegrown talent that's in the prime of their careers, and it's frankly embarrassing to watch and to think about. Man, that was a lot. That hurt just listening to all of that. It's so true. and. So I'll start from the beginning. Do I see places this team can improve? Obviously. Absolutely. Do I think they can improve? For sure. Do I think I think they can improve? They can improve because they're doing so poor in a lot of areas. The pass rush can improve because it's pretty much non-existent. I think this wide receiver group has a great chance to improve and be very productive. Um, I think Minshew has the ability to improve. Will he do it? We'll see. But there are definitely a lot of places with young talent that you can really look forward to seeing the improvements um it is really tough to to kind of grow that talent and keep it when like you said you know you're 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 shipping off every good draft pick that you've had in the last five years and how are you going to build a a long last or missing on all or missing on every other one yeah exactly or missing on and how are you going to build a winning culture a winning franchise for years to come if if that's the cycle so you know, I, I think I think this year really, when it boils down to it, is going to be a complete wash. Um, I don't want to get into that too much. Let's just kind of you know focus with what's at hand. I know I tend to ramble and kind of go off on tangents with thoughts, but you know, I, I like you said, I, I do I see room for improvement. Yes, do I see the ability to win games? No, I really don't. Especially you know when we get into the second half of the season and in this later stretch, you know, it's not going to be pretty, but. There are some things that you, you can look at and, and think that, you know, the future is bright. I think the next GM that's going to eventually come in, hopefully, uh, fingers crossed, I think that the, the, the writing's on the wall for this group. The next GM is going to come in with a plethora of young talent if they can get the right guys in here to coach it up and a plethora of draft picks. You know, you, you basically, I mean, honestly, it's, it's kind of like the Dolphins. Uh, from this year and last year. You know, Brian Flores, that group gets to come in. They've got a, a lot of great young talent. They've got a, a lot of great draft picks, and hopefully, you know, they're going to do some great stuff down there in Miami. I want to see the same in Jacksonville. Um, you know, we're going to be at another full turn here, I think. 
you know, with a new quarterback and, and a new coaching staff from top to bottom, it sucks for Jake Gruden, but you know, I, I don't think he'll be around next year because they're going to go ahead and get rid of, get rid of Caldwell. And like I said, this is all his fault. Absolutely all his fault. hundred percent. I would put the blame anywhere else. And and they're going to go ahead and get rid of Marone and with him is going to be the entire staff because you're going to bring in a guy who wants to hire his own coach, bring a GM who wants to hire his own coach and you're gonna have a coach who has his own staff. So we're kind of going to restart again next year, but you have to be optimistic with the pieces that you have around you. James Robinson can be a guy that you build on going forward. If he continues to play well, LaVisca Chanel is, is a guy who, again, five to a player, a guy who can do a lot of different things. He's going to be a guy that you want to build on going forward. And DJ Chark is a guy who, you know, is going to be a cornerstone on this team. If, if you can continue to watch him improve a lot of young talent, a lot of room for improvement, not a lot of room for winning this year, but a lot of room for improvement. Yeah. So talking about, a regime change. We are kind of, you know, getting a little ahead of ourselves. But the bottom line is, Shad Khan has to pull the trigger and make a move to help make his product on the field viable. He talks about viability off the field in terms of Jacksonville being a good market, yada yada yada. While he rakes in millions and millions of dollars from this year, every or from this franchise every year, despite all the losing. He talks about viability off the field. He needs to give the fans viability on the field. And to do that, unless by some miracle, Doug Marone and Dave Caldwell get this ship righted and they start winning some games and compete for the playoffs, he's got to get rid of those two guys. Like I said, 12 and 25 since the start of 2018. It's not acceptable. Um, You look at... You got to go get a GM who understands the modern NFL. Do I have confidence that Shad Khan can do that? No, but maybe he'll get lucky. Maybe he'll surround himself with people that understand the football better than he does, which he clearly doesn't really get the NFL based on his track record and not just a track record in terms of wins and losses, but just kind of, excuse me, the decisions he's made as the owner. But he's got to knock it out of the park with that GM search. And then that GM's got to knock it out of the park with that coaching search. I'm talking Eric Bieniemy, who probably won't be available because he'll probably end up going to Houston, who Houston has a head start on their coaching search, and now Atlanta does as well. But there are going to be other guys out there that can help you create a winning culture. Joe Brady comes to mind. He's at LSU last year, helps Joe Burrow and that, that crew get to the national championship and win it. He's now the offensive coordinator for the Panthers, and they're doing some good things. You look at Brian Dayball. He's working wonders with Josh Allen in Buffalo. You got guys like Kellen Moore, Mike LaFleur, the brother of Matt LaFleur. These guys have been around good offenses, good winning programs. You even look at Byron Leftwich. He's seen a lot of winning and has learned from one of the best in Bruce Arians. I know a lot of people would be skeptical about that around these parts. Wouldn't that be a blast from the past? But I'm saying they've got to go get one of these younger offensive guys. Not necessarily offense. Get a guy who has a focus area. I don't think I've really talked about this on the podcast because I like Doug Marone a lot. But I do not believe that he gives you an advantage over the team you're playing on either offense or defense. You look at the best head coaches in the NFL. Bill Belichick, defensive mastermind. 
You look at um, Sean McVay, offensive mastermind. Andy Reid, offensive mastermind. These are guys that they bring to the table an advantage, a built-in advantage when they go head-to-head with an opponent. And Doug Marone, you mentioned it earlier, he's a CEO head coach. He's not giving you an advantage on either side of the ball. All he's doing is trying to be a good leader, in my opinion, and I just don't think it's enough. It's not. And, you know, I kind of got us off on this tangent, and I do apologize. I've been doing that a lot today. My mind is just is just everywhere with this team right now. Uh, and, you know, talking about regime change, you want to say it's a little too early, but but is it? I mean, really, is it? Because, you know, we both, I think, had the same idea that this regime should have been gone already. And through five weeks, we're one in four. There's not really a lot that you want to look at and say, hey, I'm not ready to give up on these guys just yet. I, th- I think the ship has already sailed. You're not going to see any changes during the season because what good would it do? Uh, but, you know, to limit myself on time here and not really go on another tangent, to kind of touch on what you said there at the end, I agree 110% that it's time to go out and, and get a a coach that is geared one way or the other towards offense or defense. I think it has to be offense just because of the personnel that you have on this team coming in. You don't nearly have as much personnel on defense that you're really going to build around. But like you said, those guys bring an extra aspect to the table, you know, when it comes to their specialty and whatever side of the ball they're focusing on. Two heads are always better than one. And and you know, in this offensively driven league I think you have to focus more offensively at this point, and again with with the talent you have on this team. Um, but I don't think it's too early to start thinking about it because I, I just think everyone's dead in the water at this point. I think the writing is really on the wall through five weeks. There's nothing that I can sit here and look at on this team that gives me any thought or any hope that they're going to turn it around enough to be somewhat competitive down the stretch. And we talked about this preseason. I thought you needed the playoffs, at least 10 wins to even talk about the potential of having this, this regime stay around. And there's no way we're getting there with this team. So um, it's not, it's not too early in my opinion. I think, I think it's actually overdue um, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, it is overdue from a perspective of should these guys be here anymore? The answer is no, obviously, but my, I guess me saying that getting ahead of ourselves is because they are still here. And it doesn't appear that Shah Khan's going to make that type of move mid-season. It's not his MO. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see a coordinator, probably not Jay Gruden, but perhaps Todd Wash get the axe down the road because Marone has done that before. He's fired a coordinator. But um, it's it's rough in Jacksonville from a coaching perspective, from a perspective of wanting to win games in 2020. It's rough. But ultimately, the best result that the Jaguars can possibly have, and it sucks to say it, the best result they can have from the rest of this season is to lose as many games as possible, clean house, keep your young talent around, get the GM you need, get the head coach you need, build through the draft, spend that money in free agency because you're going to have a ton of it next year and build with this offense that you've got. And then on defense, build around Josh Allen and Devon Hamilton if he improves and Caleb on chase on if he improves and miles Jack and CJ Henderson and maybe Sidney Jones build around the guys that are good 
bring in talent at the other spots and bring in a GM and a head coach who come in at the same time with the same vision, which of course that hasn't happened since 2013. And that vision was to completely break everything down to try to win. in I don't know, three or four years, obviously that blew up in their faces and uh, they need to have guys that want to come in, build a culture that's lasting, but also attempt to win immediately. It's not going to be that hard to win immediately with this Jaguars roster next year, in my opinion, if you have the right guys coaching this roster up. This roster is not as bad as Doug Marone, Todd Wash, and Jay Gruden have made it look the last three weeks. Choo-choo! You hear that? Choo-choo! All aboard the tank train, everyone. All aboard the tank train. It's the only way that we're going to turn this thing around. Let's let's be realistic. I mean, you just said it right there. At this point, lose as many games as possible. I have never, ever been one to say, let's tank. But I've thought it from the beginning of the season. Like, what good is, is it going to come? What good is going to come to you winning four or five games this year? You're going to put yourself back into the vicious cycle. I mean, this is, this is a draft that has a premier number one quarterback the likes we haven't seen since Andrew Luck, if I'm being totally honest. I know it sounds bleak, but the only way you're going to turn this franchise around is by getting the most important position of football figured out, and that's quarterback. And I don't think that Minshew's it right now. I know we're looking too far down the schedule at this point, but but how can you not look to the future? I know it sucks. I know it's going to be a rough season, but Hey man, the future's on the horizon. You know, there's a future somewhere. Somebody's going to come in and, and write this ship. The Jags can't be terrible forever, right? Correct. They cannot be terrible forever, but it might just be another, uh, you know, till 2027. That's what we've been doing lately, right? 2007, 2017, 2027. Oh man, that is, I've never put that together. Now you say that, that is absolutely disheartening. Man, I don't know if I can wait 10 more years. <laughs> Well, seven now, but um, just because we think the Jaguars' best option moving forward is to lose a bunch of ball games this year, that doesn't mean we're tanking on the podcast. We're going to continue to provide analysis and try to talk about how can this team get better. We have already brought it up this this episode. We're going to keep breaking things down. We're going to keep trying to uh, provide the best insight and analysis that we can. And, you know, I hate to say it, but this is a team that does not provide a lot of hope for this year. It sucks. I mean, but you can't just be mediocre every year, which is what the Jaguars always do under Dave Call. You said it best. You know, the, the Jags may be tanking, but this podcast will never tank till the day the Jaguars are no more. Uh, die hard. Do vault till we die. We'll talk about this team through the good and the bad, provide you with all the updates, insight, everything Jaguars related, and we love doing it. You know, I have to take this time to thank everyone uh, who is listening right now because without you guys, we wouldn't be doing this. And, and as much as it pains us to watch the Jags go through what they're going through, this is still my favorite team of all time. The only sports team out of any major sport, any college sport, anything that I have die hard you know, till the day I die fandom of, um, you know, and, and it's great. I love the Jaguars. No matter what they put me through year in and year out, we'll always be here for them. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, 
it's just uh, that was a great point you made. We would not be here without everyone that listens, and we do really appreciate all the listeners. It means a lot to us that so many people tune into the show, and we are going to bust our ass. And the next episode we're going to have, we're going to get together later this week and talk about how the Jags might be able to beat the Lions or if they have any shot of beating the Lions, who are another team that is really struggling. They're one and three coming off their bye week, but uh, they have no lack of talent on the offensive side of the ball. They've got some weird things going on with Matt Patricia, who might be even more of a lame duck than Doug Marone at this point. That might be a bold statement, but who knows? He seems to be pretty much a lame duck in my opinion. He's been worse than Doug Marone as a head coach for sure. But we will preview that episode later this week. Probably look for that Wednesday, Thursday. Could be on Friday. We might be getting a uh, a Lions podcaster to come chat with us about that to give you guys even more insight and analysis on the Lions than we can provide. But anyways, we can go ahead and close this episode after 80 minutes. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Really helps us out in terms of, you know, getting other Jaguars fans tuned in and uh, participating and all that good stuff. If you have any comments, questions, hit us up at Jeremy Markoski, at Jordan DeLugo, or at Generation Jag, and we'll get back to you. And uh, like I said, we just really appreciate all the support. Shout out to Bold City Brewery, the one and only sponsor of the Gin Jag podcast. Big thanks to them for just uh, getting us through this all. <laughs> yes, helping us get through all of this. Pick up a Dukes, pick up a killer whale on your way home, man. It's it's fantastic. You guys won't you won't regret it. Exactly, and uh, try to enjoy the next few days. Like I said, we do have Jaguars football in Jacksonville this weekend. The Jaguars will take on the Lions, but uh, like I said, enjoy your week. Thanks for listening, and go Jags. Hello! <laughs>